ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Catholic Dating Podcast. I hope you have had a lovely month of January. I want to know if anyone took me up on the January dating challenge. Did you become a regular at a local spot, coffee shop, pub, dog park, gym, church, whatever? Um, And did you notice an uptick in eligible singles that you encountered? Did you have any neat cutes, any even just pleasant exchanges? Um, Let me know. Send me a DM at the Catholic Bachelorette or call or text the hotline. Last week, we talked about first date anxiety, how to calm first date nerves. And I asked over on Instagram if anyone had any first date fails, just some funny first date stories that we can all laugh at and feel better about our own first date fails. (laughs) Um, And I got a couple. Um, Somebody said that um, they went to brunch with a guy and ordered a cranberry juice, and he asked if she had a UTI. Um, (laughs) For those of you who don't know, like, Cranberry juice is one of those recommended, like, I don't know, home remedies for a UTI. Um, (laughs) But can you imagine someone saying that on a first date to you? Oh, Lord. And she she was like, for the record, I did not have a UTI. I just love cranberry juice. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, best case scenario, he was nervous and trying to be funny, but yikes. Um, Somebody said... On a first date, she once asked a guy what his biggest insecurity was. That's a great first date question. Um, Nothing like being asked that question when your vulnerabilities are already on full display. I remember once, I think this was a second date, but a guy asked me like what my vices were. And me being a Catholic who is educated in moral theology and uh, classical philosophy. I was thinking of like, you know, the seven deadly sins kind of vices. Um, And I I can't actually remember what I said. I think I might have said sloth or something like that. (laughs) And I was like, oh, what are your vices? And he was like, "Um, probably gambling. Uh, And he when he said vices, I think he was thinking in terms of like drinking, smoking, gambling, basically like just pleasure activities. Um, So yeah, needless to say, things didn't work out with him. Um, And then someone said, um, so they said this was like uh, back in the day, 2013, 2014, so Venmo wasn't around yet. And she said she went on a date with a very conservative guy and she joked the whole time that she was going to pay and he put his car down at the end and it got declined. Um, and it was the only card he had and he didn't have enough cash to cover it. So she actually had to put it on her card. Um, so she actually did end up paying for the first date. Um, she did say though that he, he paid her back really quick the next week. That's really funny. Um, I know a couple who's married now and the girl ended up having to pay on the first date because the guy didn't have enough cash to cover the restaurant that they went to. Um, which I don't like. I I mean I I like admire her graciousness. I don't know what I would think. I guess it depends on how well you knew the person, or if it genuinely seemed like they were like super embarrassed and 
you know, sometimes you get to a place and, and you expect to be able to pay with a card and they only take cash. So I can see situations where that would happen and, and like not be the end of the line. But that's very amusing. Um, so if you have any other fun, funny, cringy, embarrassing first date stories, first date fails, things like that, I'd love to start collecting some um, because I think it would be fun to do an episode just about those. So write me those stories uh, in a DM or better yet, call or text them to the hotline so I can have them all in one place. Today's going to be a short episode. Uh, I just had a really busy week and so we're going to take a break. I'm going to share the February dating challenge and then I'm going to get into the mailbag. All right, February is upon us, the month of love slash Lent. Um, What can I say? Roses also have thorns. Valentine's Day also has ashes. My dating challenge for you during the month of February is to ask for a setup. So think about your friends, especially like married friends or friends of, I guess, the opposite sex um, who are not single. Cause like, that'd be kind of weird if you asked, if you're like a woman and then you ask a single guy, if he has any other guy friends for a setup. Um, but think about like your, your married friends, of the opposite sex or friends who are of the opposite sex who are already in relationships and just like kind of shoot your shot with them in terms of, do they know anyone? Do they have any coworkers? Do they have any roommates, you know, if they're not married yet, do they have any, you know, some guys are on like local sports teams, like local, uh, pickup basketball, softball, rugby, et cetera. Like, do they have any guys that they, uh, work out with, um, that they might be willing to set you up with? Do they have any cousins? Do they have any brothers? Um, and I, you know, and I guess if you're a male listening, ask your, your married female friends, um, your female friends who are already in relationships, do they have any sisters? Do they have any roommates? Do they have any girls that they are in the book club with or go to Pilates with or, uh, you know, whatever. Um, and, and, you know, it doesn't even have to necessarily be local people. Like they might have someone who is, um, you know, they're still in touch with, but doesn't live locally to you, but Make a list of a couple people you can ask for setup and just give it a shot. It's not really rejection if they say no, because they might just genuinely be like, I don't know anyone. Um, but it, I think it's actually nice to let your friends know if they don't already that you are actively looking for someone. Um, people can be single for reasons intentional and unintentional. And a lot of people might know that you're single, but not know if you're interested in finding a relationship. They might not know even what type of person you're looking for. Um, and so if you, even if they don't have anyone in mind right now, you kind of open the door for the future. They might start um, thinking about you every time they encounter someone who is single that they might be able to set you up with. Um, and it just kind of puts it out there that you are open to dating. You are looking. You are on the market, as they say. So my challenge to you for the month of February, I guess you've got a few days to like brainstorm who you want to ask, but ask for a setup, ask a couple people for a setup. 
what's the worst that could happen? You go on a blind date and the person's weird. Then you have a great story to share with me for first date fails. So good luck to you all in the month of February. And I can't wait to hear back. All right. And now for the mailbag, I actually got a good amount of questions that came in this week. So I didn't feel too bad devoting an episode just to this, even though it will be on the shorter end. Um, I think as the show increases in popularity, I'll probably start getting more questions on a weekly basis. And what might end up happening is, you know, maybe every fourth or fifth episode, I do like a Q&A episode or, or maybe I do a bonus episode sometimes like a second episode for the week that's just Q&A. I don't know. I'm still starting out. But um, yeah. OK, so first question here. Somebody says it's a little bit of like a long thing. So I'm going to I'm going to read it. Uh, She says, I am a revert to the faith, and I feel that going through the things I did and finding my faith again has made me stronger. My concern now that I am looking to date another practicing Catholic is that it may be intimidating or off-putting that I do have a past. Would you say that if someone has chosen to start living according to the faith and made those changes that the past can be overlooked? I guess this question varies from person to person, but I can understand if someone who has been devout their whole life may not be open to this. Also, in how much detail do you think the past should be discussed in a new dating relationship and at what point? I'm going to stop there. She has like a follow-up question that's kind of different. So I'm going to start with these questions, which are, are more general. Um, so first of all, is, is someone who is kind of a revert to the faith, you know, maybe has a past, so to speak, and they start living according to the church, um, are, are they likely to be overlooked? I don't think so, because first of all, especially if we're talking about like an online situation, I don't know that that information would be immediately obvious to people on the outside. Um, And even if you openly state that you are kind of a revert, I don't think that's a turnoff for most people. I think it shows that you have made a really conscious choice to live out your faith. It's not just something that is a mere routine for you, uh, but something that you really are actively pursuing. Um, It probably means that you have an interesting story as to what led you back um, and might have a beautiful testimony that has come from that. You know, you see a lot of things online, especially in the sort of, I don't know, red pill manosphere where, um, and, and she she didn't say any of this explicitly, um, and so I don't want to like infer too much. But like you'll see, you'll you'll hear guys just talking about basically wanting a uh, like a pure woman, uh, so to speak. Uh, they'll bring up things about like body count and blah blah blah, and you know we can we can talk more about those things in detail on, on another episode. But I think most normal people. Um, they understand that, like, chastity is more important than virginity. And, and, and again, this, this person didn't specifically bring this up. I'm, I'm kind of inferring she might not be referencing this at all. Um, but I think it's worth saying because this, this question can apply to a broader public. Uh, you know, someone can be a virgin and not chaste in their thoughts. Um, they can have a history with pornography, other things like that. So I I just I don't want anyone who has a past 
whether it's sexual, whether it's just living kind of a worldly lifestyle, not really praying, not really going to church, um, or whether it's something even really extreme, like, you know, getting into drug addiction or something like that. Like, your past does not disqualify you from a good, holy spouse. Um, You'd be surprised how many people are kind of out there in the dating world who have a similar, um, who've been in a similar place where, where they kind of reverted back to the faith. Um, at some point in their young adult life. So it does not disqualify you. Are there some people who might overlook you? I suppose, but I think most normal people, like that's not like, like they want to get to know you and they want to get to know your story. And so then she, she, she gets to this second question. Um, in how much detail do you think the past should be discussed in a new dating relationship? That's a great question too. You know, no one has a right to all the information about your past up front. Obviously, vulnerability is important when it comes to building a relationship, but those things should be revealed as the relationship deepens. Um, sometimes people make the mistake of just like spilling their whole life story, deepest, darkest secrets super early on. And even if they're not like, you know, I mean, sometimes it could just overwhelm the other person. They're like, whoa, I don't know if I'm up for all of this. Um, But it could also have the effect of like creating kind of a a false sense of intimacy where you feel super close to that that person because like you've shared a really vulnerable part of your heart and they've like received it. And it's like, oh, my gosh, like we're so close, even though it's like only been two weeks. And I I think that's something that you just want to be careful about because you want to make sure the relationship has the stability to be a secure place for that kind of vulnerability. So what I would recommend doing is, is kind of thinking of a very short, simplified way to kind of say, indicate that there's more to your story. Um, and then say like, and you know, I look forward to sharing more with you as, as we, we grow. So maybe you could just, you know, depend, first of all, like, I think it should be, hopefully things are just coming up in conversation, you know? Um, I don't think you have to have like a sit down really early on and be like, hey, I just want you to know this. Um, But you you could have like a kind of truncated way of saying, you know, there was uh, several years in my life where I was away from the church or, um, you know, I came back to the church X number of years ago Um, and kind of like leave it to to indicate that there's like more to the story. and then hopefully as you grow in your relationship, you get to a point where you you know that you can really trust the person to receive that information and they're going to receive it from you in, not in this because they know you versus like when it's super early, like you don't really know the person that well. And so you're, you're still kind of trying to figure out who they are, um, even in the present, like forgetting about the past. So I don't know that there's a, a timeline per se that you can um, like when these things should be discussed. I, I would, like I said, I would just have a, a, a simplified way of sharing it early on, just saying like, hey, you know, I was away from the church for a couple of years or I recently came back to the church. And then maybe a few months in, you're kind of letting them in to more and more of your story. And then there are certain things that I don't think need to be shared until you're really getting close to engagement. So, you know, like let's say, for example, we are talking about sexual past and you have been with other men before like maybe you know at some point your boyfriend could know in general that that's the case but you're not really going to give him any specifics until 
um, it gets like seems to be like you're going to get engaged or something like that. Um, Cause here's the thing, like if something's been forgiven in confession, it's, it's, it's gone. It's, it's wiped away. It's not held against you anymore. Um, you know, it's good for people to know about your past just so that they have a full picture of you. But like, you know, anybody who's going to make you feel guilty um, or ashamed for ha- for something that you've already confessed and been forgiven of, um, I-, I don't think is the right person. Okay. And then she has like a second question. So um, she says, I've been corresponding with someone on Catholic Match who asked to video call first, which I thought was totally fine and actually kind of preferable. I figured after we video chatted, we would arrange meeting because we do live in the same city, but he asked to do video chat again later this week. Should I bring up the meeting or just go with the flow of the call and maybe bring it up if he still hasn't initiated meeting? I don't know why meeting always feels tricky. It seems my experience lately has been, has had a common theme of men actively pursuing talking to me, but not seeing me. I don't know if this is because they're trying to be polite and not scare me off by proposing a date so soon, but I feel like it's best to get to meet someone as soon as possible. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay, cool. So I think this is a more common experience on Catholic Match. Um, this has definitely been my experience on Catholic Match. Granted, there have I, I live in a rural area, so I don't tend to meet people in my city, but it's not uncommon on Catholic Match um, to have a couple video chats before an in-person date. Um, that's generally been my experience um and and even though you and this guy do live in the same city I'm sure that if he's been on Catholic Match a while he's probably also chatted with women who don't live in his same city so this kind of might be his preferred kind of method so if if he's asked for a video chat and then you were expecting date after it and then he asked for a second video chat I don't think that's, that's anything bad I um I don't think you necessarily need to bring it up right away you know I I would say if 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 um, at the end of the second video chat, he's, he's just asking for a third one and he's, and he's not making any plans. You could say something kind of like, I'd love to video chat again, or maybe we could meet up, um, and kind of leave it as a suggestion. Like you're not necessarily planning the date and saying, meet me here at six o'clock, but you're kind of letting him know that you would be open to an in-person date. I, I think, Either is fine after that second video chat if he hasn't brought it up. I mean, you could wait for a third. But, I mean, if someone hasn't asked you, talked about reading in real life after a third video chat, I mean, unless they live 4,000 miles away, it's like, all right, let's get on it. But, yeah, uh, having a second video chat before a first date I don't think is super weird, especially on Catholic Match. It's definitely more out of the norm on, like, secular dating apps. But I've just – I think people on Catholic Match just take their time more. Um, That's been my experience. So best of luck to you in, in the dating realm. And let us know how things go. All right, so I've got two short questions, and then I'll end with a, one more long question. Um, so somebody says, good places to meet guys in real life. Wonderful. How do we meet men in the wild? Well, think about where men go and what men like to do. <laughs> a great place to meet men is the kind of bar where people go to watch sports, like Guys will often, single guys especially, will often just go there like on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon to watch the game with other people. Um, So if you're a sports fan, that is something to look into. I mean, I know we're coming up on the Super Bowl, so football season's winding down. I guess basketball season's kind of. I I know that's college. I'm thinking about March Madness. I don't know. Don't ask me. I, I don't know these things specifically, but like. 
you know, March Madness for college basketball, then baseball season comes spring, summer. I don't actually know when the NBA season is. Um, but like, yeah, the kind of bars where people go to watch sports, um, you know, especially thinking about like a, a weekend crowd. Um, that's one place. When I, I did jujitsu for a year and like I didn't form any romantic connections from that, but there was a ton of guys there. Um, surprisingly, a lot of them were married. And actually, there's a lot of married couples that did jujitsu together. That might have just been my gym. But um, there was definitely a lot of other guys there who seemed to be like single. So, you know, maybe trying something athletic that is likely to attract a, lar- a larger population of men. Um, jiu-jitsu but it could also be like a local ultimate frisbee league softball league kickball league those are common in a lot of especially bigger cities um so i think something like that you know sports i'm not trying to totally stereotype guys but like sports sports are, are tend to attract more men than women i think that's pretty fair to say um and, and you know in that same vein the gym um and then i think like the next best thing okay here's a couple things for catholics um a lot of cities have a chapter, something called Young Catholic Professionals. So I, I would look up Young Catholic Professionals um, in, like, the nearest major city to you. They tend to have, like, regular meetings. They kind of – I think they have, like, big meeting, big big events and then, like, smaller events. So look up Young Catholic Professionals in your nearest city. You know, you might have to travel sometimes for these things if you live in a smaller town. A lot of dioceses have young adult ministry and things like Theology on Tap – that's probably more obvious. And then I think the next best place after that is like social get-togethers. So I don't know, try to try to flaunt your social butterfly. All right, and then another person asked, how long after a breakup do you think it's okay to start dating again? I think it depends on the seriousness of the relationship and the length of the relationship. So if it was a pretty brief relationship, maybe a couple months, and it wasn't like, it was just kind of starting, like it wasn't like something that um, felt really intense already, like I think it's fine to kind of be- get back out there, you know, a couple weeks after. If we're talking about something more serious, like, you know, a relationship that lasted close to a year, we're talking about, um, you know, even like a broken engagement, I think it's good to take a few months off and really ref- like heal from it and and reflect. Everybody kind of grieves relationships in different ways and that dynamic can de- definitely be different depending on if you were the person dumped for the first versus the person who did the dumping. You know, if you were the person who did the dumping, you probably are going to grieve that relationship more quickly because you kind of were preparing to make the exit before you actually did. And so um, it might not take as much time to like heal from that. But I think either way, if, if it was something that was really long term and really serious, I, I would really recommend taking at least three months um, and just enjoying your single life, kind of getting more clear about what it is that you're looking for. You know, I mean, it definitely depends on the person. Like if you don't feel ready to get back out there, then I don't think that you should. But if you're ready to just dive right in, and it's you recently got out of a relationship, I would just kind of assess like how serious was the relationship you got out of um, and have you given enough time to really let go and kind of let those memories fade a little bit. You know, I, I mean, I went through, I'm like someone who has a harder time getting over things, but like I tried to 
started dating six months after a breakup that really crushed me. And uh, I was, you know, actively dating for several months once I hit that six month period, but it was really hard. And I found myself comparing everyone to my ex and that wasn't really, you know, that wasn't good for me, but it depends, I think, a lot on your, your temperament and just the, kind of the way you form emotional attachments as well. All right. And then we will close with another long question. These long questions often come in through the hotline. All right. This person said, you were 100% correct this week uh, when you mentioned the idea of someone self-isolating and never engaging with anything close to dating due to fear or anxiety. I think that is the main reason for myself, ultimately, even if workaholism slash time management is a challenge for me. That said, this is an unfair question, but I wonder why not remain in self-isolation and choose not to date? From a man's perspective, if you date and marry the wrong woman, your whole life can be ruined very quickly and mercilessly. I'm guessing the same is true from a woman's perspective about men, just in different ways, but the potential for a ruined life is there all the same. Then to make it worse, even the successfully married people with kids and families don't paint an attractive picture of marriage. When they're not busy gossiping and stressing about keeping up with the Joneses and having the Instagram perfect family, the kids are squabbling with each other over the silliest little things while the married couple says marriage is hard work without actually saying what the work actually is. Obviously, raising children is very hard work and involves intense time commitment, but no one ever says what it means when they say that marriage is hard work. All that said, what is the answer to why to engage with dating at all? Is this a unique nihilism of modern society? These, to- these are totally unfair questions. I certainly don't mean them as a criticism of your show. Just curious as your thoughts. Ooh, okay. This is good. I think it's good, first of all, to stay away from couples who or individuals who share a ton about their marriage on social media. I just have a general skepticism to- towards those people. You know, it's, it's not like you can't ever post a picture with, with your spouse or your kids or, you know, little things here and there. But, like, there are so many Catholic, like, micro-influencers who are just, like, constantly posting about their, their marriage and their family and all the details that are happening. And, like, I think that's kind of inappropriate. I also think that sometimes we can – like, those – it's, it's, it's temptation for those people to like fit their life into a, a story that is easy to tell. Um, and anytime you're telling a story, you're, you're leaving details out, um, but you're trying to make content like digestible to an audience. Um, so we kind of be wary of the editing that's always inevitably going to happen, even from the most well-intentioned people, like when they're out there sharing their story about whether it's how they met their spouse, whether it's their dating story, whether it's just what their marriage is is like. Now, I can understand why some people might say, oh, marriage is hard, but like not elaborate because that could involve like sharing details that are just too personal to share publicly. Uh, but, I, but I do agree that it is sort of annoying when people are like, marriage is hard. I'm like, well, what, what is the hard part? Like, is, and is it hard because both of you are like stubborn and unwilling to compromise and like speak to each other passive aggressively or is it just hard inevitably, even if you are well-matched and uh, people with like good communication skills? I guess my overall point is to not pay, with, with regards to that point, is to just not pay too much attention to people posting online about 
their marriage. <laughs> um, now let's talk about your your bigger question though, which is like why not just self-isolate? Why why date? Why get married? Essentially, children are stressful. Marriage is work. And what about the risk of like ruining your entire life if it does if you choose quote unquote the wrong person? All right, so much to unpack here. First of all, I think it is good to just start with the acceptance that life is hard and marriage is hard and love is is hard. And what I mean here is that love and marriage and relationships, they require you to step outside of yourself. They require you to give of yourself, even if you don't necessarily feel like it. Like usually there is that period of falling in love where it's very just wonderful and like you just happily do things for the other person. But I'm sure there comes time when you have to kind of push past your innate selfishness um, to really serve the other person. And I'm sure even more so like when it comes to kids and, you know, kids, you kind of have, I I don't know if you have a honeymoon period with kids. I'm sure it's like amazing when you have your first child and you see them and you're just so delighted in them. But like, as soon as you come home, it's the incessant schedule of feeding, changing, burping, rocking to sleep, you know? So I think probably in, in that sense, like Within a 24-hour period, you have those highs and those lows. Whereas with a relationship, it probably starts out with a lot of highs and then some lows start to creep in and then maybe hit sort of an equilibrium. But like being a Christian is hard. Being a Catholic is hard. Following the gospel is hard. Um, and to just self-isolate, I think, is is a lifestyle that is contrary to the gospel. You don't have to get married. You don't have to date. But you do have to live a life that is not centered on yourself. You do have to take up your cross and carry it. You do have to seek first the kingdom of God, uh, not store up for for yourself treasures on earth. Humble yourself before God if you're going to be exalted. Like, whether you choose to date or get married or not, as, as a Catholic, if you're trying to live according to the gospel, you must do difficult things. And some of that is, is turning away from sin, sins of commission, I should say. But then there's also the work of like those sins of omission, um, not doing something out of selfishness, out of laziness, out of uh, protecting your own comfort. So let's more so broaden our perspective and say that dating and marriage and having kids are just one aspect of the way the Christian life is lived out that is supposed to make you less selfish. You know, and and same thing goes for priesthood or religious life. You are living a life that is not for yourself. So I, I, you know, I think it's okay to acknowledge these challenges and to not be Pollyanna-ish about it. But yeah, um, these things are, I think, are inherently hard because selflessness is inherently hard. And maybe this has something to do with the nihilism of modern society because we... We kind of live in a world where, if we're talking about kind of like the the West, the first world, so to speak, um, I'm not speaking for the entire globe at this point, but like people in America, people in Canada, people in most parts of Europe, Australia, whatever, like you have so many things that you can choose from that it's not just like there's there's one societal role that you have to fulfill. And it's very easy to have economic stability where you can create a pretty comfortable lifestyle for yourself and not rely on your community or anything like that. And so I think in that sense, you know, maybe this might have be a bit of a modern problem for for people in the West. 
Like that selfishness is an option, <laughs> you know? I mean, imagine living in an agrarian society as a, as a lifelong bachelor. Like there'd probably be a lot of labor, you know? But we have to remember that, that God says it's not good for man to be alone. And when he talks about how, when, when Jesus or when Paul talk about how it's better not to marry, they're always talking about it in the context of like living a more intensely devoted Christian life where you're even more directly orienting, orienting yourself towards God. Living a, a, an isolated, comfortable life, I, I don't think is an option for a Christian, not, not, not a true option. I mean, we're, you know, I'm not saying it's a moral obligation to get married, but it is a moral obligation to live a life that is not self-centered. Uh, and this is not like an attack on the specific person, but I think just answering the question as a whole. Um, and then lastly, just this question of like, what if you marry the wrong person? You know, that's, that's something that it's, it's fair to be fearful of. I think that's why it's important just not to rush uh, and to really vet the person and to really get clear about the qualities that will make someone a good spouse. Sometimes we can focus on the superficial qualities, not, not just like appearance, but like what, do they, what skills do they bring to the table? Like, you know, does she know how to cook? Does he know how to do like repairs around the house? Does he have a good job? Um, does she want to have kids? Like those are, you know, important things, but like what character qualities, what virtues will make someone a good spouse? Are they honest and trustworthy? Are they dependable? Are they responsible? Do they have a good work ethic? Do they have a personal habit of daily prayer? Do they go to confession? And then, and then looking at some of the circumstantial things, what is their relationship like with their family? How do they handle negative emotions? Um, are they able to communicate negative emotions? Like, so not just looking for someone who on paper shares your values or in person you have chemistry with, but like really trying to think like what traits, what character traits make someone likely to be uh, a good and faithful spouse? And then whatever those traits are, like, you need to be working on them in yourself, too. Because uh, that's how you're going to attract somebody who also is of that caliber in terms of virtue. And then the last word is this, like, to bring it back to this Christian context, like, we don't have to bear the weight on our shoulders of being solely responsible for making the right choices in life. Obviously, we are solely responsible for not choosing sin. Um, I mean, you know, with, with the help of God's grace. But, like, that's something that we're, we're capable of doing with the level of awareness that we have. But, like, God is not asking you to make omniscient decisions. Only God is all-knowing. Only God can see all time at once. Only God can see into your future. And so God's not asking you to make decisions with the certainty that everything is going to work out in the future. Like God is asking us to use our reason, to use the gifts of wisdom, and then to trust him and entrust ourselves to him and ask for his grace and ask for his assistance and ask him to lead us. Um, but to trust that like, not only is he not going to mislead us if we're trying to follow him, but also even if something goes wrong, that it's not the end of your life. It's not the end of the world. There is no such thing as ruining your life. 
certainly there are things that make life very, very difficult. I don't want to like, again, be dismissive of that, but like that is not a line of thinking that comes from God to say like, if I unknowingly make the wrong decision and then end up ruining my life, like Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. Sufficient for today is its own evils. God will take care of tomorrow. Work on making the best decision with the knowledge that you have in the present moment and trust yourself to God. And also trust that like things will become clear as you get to know somebody. It's very easy to be terrified in the abstract and in the, the what ifs, but we're not, we're talking about dating a, a concrete person. And, and as you get to know them over time, you will start to see if they have those qualities that would make them um, a good spouse. doesn't mean you might not still have to work at it. There'll probably be times where you have to work on your communication. Uh, but the beautiful thing is like, there are also resources out there to help you if you hit a rocky patch in your marriage. So don't be afraid. Don't give up. Don't fall into nihilism. Live a life that is selfless. Make wise decisions, but also know that complete happiness isn't in this life. And that's okay. And it's not supposed to be. Um, so if things are difficult, that's okay. That might even mean you're doing something right. All right. Well, this was supposed to be a short episode, but it ended up kind of long, uh, but that's okay. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, again, love to hear your thoughts on all these questions. Make sure you are following along on Instagram at the Catholic Bachelorette. I always post content throughout the week and, and a lot of polls and surveys too to kind of see what people are, are thinking about things. Um, I, I ask for feedback and questions every Tuesday, um, or you can call or text the hotline and the number is 571 348 4132. Stay on the track, young flies.